hello. Let us talk about things. There you go. All right, cool. All right, so purple's our intro. Uh, <laughs> so it well, and I guess real quick to introduce everyone for the those who are on the audio feed here, uh, we are doing a kind of an informal. We call them let's chats, uh, and we probably are going to start trying to do some more of them <laughs> as uh, this year, maybe. Um, but right now it is myself, Blue Crew eighty six. We have Green Eyed Music Lover. Green, you you still there with us? I don't know. Am I still there? Oh here? yes, she's still there. Cool, because you know you you left you left me last this last weekend, and well, I was, I'm I was sorry. Scared, My sister's thing was and it pretty. was terrifying, and I did it all by myself. I wanted chocolate cake. Dang it! <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, it was. I was back in Kansas for my sister's uh, bridal shower because she's getting married in April. And bridal shower, bride. not bachelorette party. Not which... bachelorette party. You had that in your head for like three weeks when <laughs> I was going to a bachelorette party. And I'm like, I, can't, I even said that in chat. I was like, it's not a bachelorette party, just so everyone knows that that's what I was worried about. Yeah. Green is going and partying it up with her sister who is seven years younger than her. <laughs> Hey, no. hey, I'm not judging. I'm not judging. I'm judging a was, little bit. It was good, though. <laughs> we, I got to spend some time with my family, and Trudy got a lot of good stuff. Um, towels, up, tons of towels, and all that stuff that you need when you first get married that you don't generally think about. So, yeah, it was productive for her and fun for me. Yep, I got it. Good okay. now. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh... I, and then also I with his phone us. off, and then he, <laughs> and then I put it back on his. It's got like a wireless charging station. Yeah. So yeah. I turned his phone off, and then I put it back down, oh. so it like turned back on again, and I was like, ah. <laughs> well, also with us, uh, also with us tonight, we have Purple because Purple was really, really excited to uh, to chat with us about one of her favorite topics. Ever, she loves writing objective summaries about this topic. Um, <laughs> Purple, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm awake now. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Sleep is good. Um, and then, like, what we're, what we'll do also is I will try to get this up on YouTube as quickly as possible, uh, as well with most of our let's chats. Uh, that we are obviously going to be releasing this as an audio. F- pretty quickly afterwards um as fast as i can get it edited basically so really i mean there's not a lot of house cleaning if you guys want those you know housekeeping notes just tune in on the thursday or the friday stream and we'll we'll fill you in on all the other stuff um but i really kind of think we should just jump right into the information because we got actually quite a bit of information uh yeah we did to yesterday Yesterday? So, yeah. My days are blending together. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, for those of you who are in the future, yesterday was the release of the last word quest, which means we got the release of two new books The Book of Unmaking and Letters from a Renegade, which are both amazing and also disturbing in many different ways, which I'm sure we'll chat about. But that's also the quest. 
as of as of about three o'clock this afternoon, I'd gotten my last word. So, yay! One of us has completed it. Mm-hmm. Blue's working on his right now. Yeah, as we I, I kind of want to. I will. I really actually want to give a big shout out real quick to I John Goff. Bungie, um, yeah, Bungie. You guys, you guys did it. You made me actually turn on Destiny Two again because I I saw the. Uh, I'll I'll be honest. I was like, oh, okay. Uh, you know, I, I kind of was explaining this to a couple people on Twitter today too, because they obviously the the topic of me not playing Destiny Two came up, um, and they were like, "Why don't you play it?" And it's mostly because of the mechanics, and I just I'm as a as a pretty strong like avid solo player, it's tough to play a game designed for social, like to designed to be built around a social group. Um, it's just tough from a mechanic standpoint. Absolutely love the story. Absolutely love everything. But then they, then Bungie did the thing and they posted a picture of the shirt that you can get with the last word. And I was like, well, I hope that I can get everything done being a hundred light level below because it's going to get done. And yeah, most of it, you can most of it. I think you might have to be a little bit higher level to do the last mission. But yeah. everything else is pretty straightforward. It's like a law sector and I'm, I've stuff. I've been I'll be honest. I'm on the second to last step right now, um, and if that doesn't tell you how how I don't I wouldn't say easy, but I mean you just said I mean accessible. Like, uh, yeah, accessible. Like you just have to you just have to be adaptable. Like that's the thing is like I know there was a lot of there was a lot of complaining uh, on Twitter, which Salt. you know surprise twitter was complaining about something but oh it's you know, 500 you could totally do it black flag says last level's 500 for ha, you. Ha, yes all right so chat just made my night even better um but like I, I i don't know like coming from destiny one where i played from day one of destiny one uh you know not to kind of toot the horn there but there was a lot of quests from Destiny One that were significantly more difficult than the steps that are so far in this quest. Like Thorn, the, yeah, the original Thorn. Okay, the original Thorn required you to use Void, and as a hunter, you didn't have a Void subclass. So you had to get Void kills. You had to so... use a single weapon slot to Word get Void of kills. Crota. Yeah, I mean, it, it, that's so... what everybody used back then. That or Atheon's epilogue, which was yeah. my go-to, because that thing was like a freaking bullet hose, and it was mm-hmm. a laser pointer. But I mean, but what I'm saying is like there there has been a significant um, growth in the in the game as far as like accessibility with these quests. And I really, I mean, I'll be honest, is as a person who has not played Destiny two for uh, probably a couple months now, um, getting back into even PvP to get this stuff is not been i don't know i've I've been not upset about it it has definitely taken some patience um but it's nothing i don't think it's anything that a couple you know a couple hours of reconfiguring your brain to figure out a different way to do it i don't know i've been really happy with it um the last question the last quest is kind of a pain so keep your patience oh yeah no 15 deaths to get through yeah i think it was uh ramshackle said that it was like 30 yeah 30 30 plus or something so yeah it's it's some fine tuning on that last one Mm -hmm. but the the step that everyone gets stuck on is the very last steps thank god i was worried they're going to be there was going to be another one but yeah it's a good good quest and it's 
an interesting quest as far as lore goes, because think about the the step that everyone's really kind of talking about, the whole PvP where you have the the pushback. If you kill somebody, you get points, but if you die, you lose points. I love it. I mean, I mean, I'll be completely honest. I love it. I, I that was actually the that particular step was actually one of my more enjoyable ones. It because... really made me feel the dredgen aspect because you're gathering light. You're stealing well, there's, light. There's that, but it also like for me one of the things that it it actually made me have to stop and think, which mm-hmm. you know for a game that's been out for what a year now, two years now. I feel like it's been forever since it came out. But for a game that's been out for so long, the PvP aspect has really, for for my particular play style, has just been kind of, I jump in, I play, I don't really think about it. And so to have a to have that challenge where it's like, you know, like the one that I'm running right now is the, um, you have to get blood for blood or uh, best, ser- best served cold, I believe is the one. It's the revenge, basically. You either avenge or you re- you get revenge or you avenge the death. Um, you know, it, it's 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 a change in the way that I play, and I think that's a really cool thing too. Because, like, what you're saying for the lore thing, it's a change in the way that your guardian is using stuff too, and I think that is an is a um, is an important thing to keep in mind. The other thing I really like is how the entire quest feels like you're going for Thorn and then all of a sudden it's not Thorn. Mm-hmm. I love that little twist there at the end about that because I think it brings into question some stuff about the Drifter too. It brings into question stuff about the Renegade as well, especially towards the end. Yes. The book. Yeah, well, and, and the Renegade, I I was uh, mentioning this to a couple people the other cool thing about the Renegade is that with the um, the letters, he you see actually some growth in him. Like you see some growth in the Renegade in the sense that he used to operate on a black and white realm. Like his world for the longest time was black and white. You were either good or you were bad, and that was all that mattered. And then he encountered us, and we we when you complete this quest you you basically are like you know i guess obviously spoilers but like you're you're in the process of creating a weapon of sorrow aka thorn and then you purify it at the end and create the last word so i find that first off i find that really interesting and and there's a number of connections there but the thing that that also begs is that you brought something that was steeped in darkness and brought it into the light and so th- for the renegade, he says, you know, that's one of the things that he talks about is like, you're not black and white. You kind of are transcending that division, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, the last, the pieces, the last piece that you have is called conversation, which I also thought was interesting because the last quest you do is the draw quest. And it is you proving, you are proving the, I mean, what we talk about, how, I'm trying to remember which aspect where we're talking about declaring yourself, Mm -hmm. playing yourself ahead of the other person or better, not necessarily better, but it's like, oh gosh, it's not, 
it's not sword logic, it's not bomb lock logic, but it's the it's similar in some respects, but it in yeah. that the draw you are proving yourself to be able to step into those shoes. Interesting and interestingly enough, the I want to say it's the last card in the letters from a renegade. He talks about how the last word can be called forth by anybody. Let me see if I can find it. Uh, yeah, he, a gift and a touch of gray. Yes. He says, <clears throat> the gun came to you. How does it feel in your grip? Few can light its fire, but any reborn of the light can call its name. That's a secret I'm bound to hold. Just know you've earned it and you've earned it true. The cannon you hold is yours, but it is no replica. It is a gift from a friend. Mm-hmm. The other thing is when you're in that last battle, which I also thought was really super interesting, if you get killed, which you will, unless you're a god, um, if you get killed by the guy, you will. You will. You will die. If you don't die on the first try through, I want to see a clip. <laughs> Because, ha, it's rough. <laughs> but um, when you die to the the standoff, essentially, uh, is it you in, see Enoch in, 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 in Notch or something? I don't know how to pronounce his name, but yeah, the guy's he's the weapon master, the hive mm. weapon master, and you stand on a plate, you activate the plate, which activates it's tells you to basically be steady. And it's summoning essentially the the last word for you to use against him. And what he's getting ready to draw is what's called a proto thorn. And it's a one shot kill. So if you miss, Mm. he'll kill you. And you basically have a standoff. As soon as his hand moves, you have to be faster and you have to knock his, well, spoilers. We, We were talking about spoilers. The way you kill him is you knock the gun out of his hand. You don't actually kill him, kill him. By like a headshot, you you have to knock the gun out. You push him back. Yeah. And each section, there's three different sections you do. The first time is a single singular guy. You knock it out. Incar is his name. Incar. Thank you. Um, First time you knock it out of his hands, it takes his health down a third. The second time you're dealing with two of them. And you have to knock them out both before they kill you which granted they fire separately they thank goodness there's like one after the other and then the third one you have to knock out all three and the second time on the second group you take out another third and the last one you finally take out the final third and there's three of them and it's a pain in the butt because the order in which they spawn matters Mm -hmm. because that's the order in which they're going to fire as well which means if you get like Uh. i did on the the time I actually finished it, I got really, I don't know if I just got really lucky or I just kind of focused in or whatnot, but it spawned middle, left, then right. So I had to had I had to actually jump back and forth oh, and knock them out. So do, that was yeah, because that would that would be a pain. And they are random spawns. Like I had yeah, them left to right, I had them right to left, but yeah, they they can spawn in any order. Yeah, and Pins actually says what I what I really appreciate from letters. <clears throat> he says in reading letters from a renegade, we do see growth in Shin, but there is a distinct feel of a father giving advice to his son, and I think that's I think that's important because Shin 
is basically um he's basically becoming the Jaren Ward to our guardian. Yes. Although now purple correct me if I'm wrong on this cuz I don't know. I've read through everything but I haven't analyzed them yet. Hmm. Shin isn't dead at the end of this. He calls it no. his final act. No, he's no, he's not dead. No. No. Um I I do think it's interesting that he like until this moment we didn't have any concrete evidence that he was still around. The Callum um, thing, I mean, technically that could have happened a long time ago, though. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, we, we don't know. It could be. But, like, in Letters from a Renegade, he, like, explicitly makes a reference to Cade's death. Mm-hmm. And, like, our reaction to it. Mm-hmm. So, like, clearly he has to be around to see that happen in order for him to, you know, write us a letter about it. Right. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, And it does bring into question some stuff we were talking about the other week with um, a drifter's gambit. Mm -hmm. Um, Because we were talking about who is he writing these letters to or who is he talking to? It would be that he's, there, there's a, a higher chance now that he's actually talking to us. Yeah, definitely. As as far as like in the Drifter's Gambit, you think he's talking to us? Yeah. Well, so it in um, a letters from a renegade, they are literally letters. Like he right. signs them, right? Right. But if you go to a Drifter's Gambit, it's all in quotes, right? Yeah. So, it's like, almost more of a conversation between him and somebody. Yeah. Right, like he he's kind of monologuing, and mm. then it's got like a tagline because it's a transcription. Right, right, but it could be that that he's just talking to us. Right, you know he he seems to want to give us a lot of information, so that would make sense. Well, and the other thing is, is like in a drifter's gambit, you can also argue that some of it is a conversation with him and Shax. Yeah. Because there's, there's parts where he's talking to, I mean, it's, it, I would argue that there is at least one entry in a drifter's gambit that it is Shin talking to Shax because there is a part where he is talking about the Red Jacks clearing stuff and getting stuff ready for a gambit match. Mm-hmm. And like I I mean I guess maybe our guardian could be that individual but it it seemed it would seem it just makes a lot more sense in my head that that is a particular conversation that he had with Shax because that was also Shax is kind of leading or Shax is letting Gambit go on but kind of almost behind the vanguard's back even right and and that's that's kind of I see that as being a a uh, machination by Shin to use the Drifter to you know further his own goals, in the same way that the Drifter is kind of using Shin or the quote man with the golden gun to further his goals. And I know there's a lot of I know there's a lot of theories about 
that whole relationship. Um, sadly, you know, from the, the lore books, we don't get a, a huge amount of information about the drifter necessarily. We do get confirmation about Shin and then the books of unmaking is, uh, is more information about the original Sar, uh, the original shadows from the eyes of Teb and gray. Yes. And, uh, well, yeah, he's the one who's writing the journals. I love it. I love, love it. We also get a little bit of perspective from Orsa, but it's from Tevin's perspective. Like Tevin's the one who writes it. Yeah, he's Orsa like is he's quote. Yeah, he's quoting Orsa. I think if I remember that one correctly, or like he's like paraphrasing yeah, what that, Orsa was know, saying. The whole time, see, see, this is this is a weird thing about the Book of the Unmaking because, um, like the letter from a renegade, he's writing a letter to us. They're like mm-hmm. here's the letter, I signed it. Like, whatever. But all of the Book of the Unmaking are tagged with hand-scrawled note accompanying Tevin Gray's personal translation of the ancient high text. Right. Well, he's and talking the- about that. Like, he talks about what he's doing with that because they're transcribing the stuff that's on your ship. But I just sorry, just really quick to interject. This also gives us the explanation of where the, that really annoying quote on Thorn, where that comes from. Yes. That everyone has been losing their minds um, since Destiny 1 because it's the seventh book of sorrows. We actually get the location of that quote. Well, and I, I, yeah, why there's seven. Right, seven right, right. Why whatnot, there is a I mean. seventh book. Yeah, like it explains where that quote comes from. And it's actually not from the hive. It's, it's from it's the shadows. Our, it's from the shadows, which makes a ton of sense. But it's their translation of the arcane scripture of the hive with their own thoughts. Like it's it's like um yeah, I don't really know how I'm gonna say this next thing without pissing off some group of people. But like it's like taking it's like well, it's like taking fill in fill in the blank. It's taking an X religious text. So, you know, whatever, whatever religious text doesn't make you that angry. And then looking oh, at gosh. the way that, well, I mean, I, I, with, if I pick one, it's going to piss someone off. So I'm just going to let you guys pick it. Um, okay. So like, but if you look at the way it travels through history, the translations for it, for instance, I am, I am more familiar with this particular religion than I am with anything else. So I'm going to go with this one. But if you look at the process of Christian texts, you know, it as it travels through different geographical regions and it goes through different languages, uh, you know, from like, for instance, from Greek to Roman or Greek to Latin, that was a big leap. You, you, you lose things in translation. You gain some stuff, but you also you always will lose stuff in translation. And so depending on how, you know, faithful that translation is, you see this in, in even philosophical texts, you know, uh, any of Martin Heidegger's work of, of being in time, for instance, if you have you can have two different translators work on that book and you will come out with two different passages for the same passage. Well, sure. It's not even it's not even with just philosophical stuff. You get that with with anything you translate, because not every word has an exact equivalent mm. in every language. Yeah, I just immediately gravitate towards philosophy 
because I well, because it's like it's a huge well and the reason why is because like in in my experience that is like it's it's something that if you don't get a translation that's actually faithful to the original you not only lose the meaning of the word but you can also completely miss the point and that's you know that's yeah. that's really dangerous in in some philosophies because like you know Nietzsche's you know nihil- nihilistic thoughts you know you you can lose the impact of some of his statements if your translator doesn't know particular you know context context clues from the german language like that's just one instance like you know it's just there's yeah. and then there's like the history like historical context as well i mean there's a the ton of stuff that you can go into getting things lost in a translation Yeah, well, and, and my point Chat. was that it can happen with the most like mundane, right? Yeah, that's what that's like, what Chat just and it said. Only gets worse. Google, Google yeah. Translate loses the most. Oh god, yeah. <laughs> Have you ever done like the Chinese and Japanese, yeah. the Asian languages? <laughs> oh my god, I feel so bad for them. Like, jeez, such a such a rough rough thing to translate. Because they have multiple words that mean the same thing that one of our words mean. Oh yeah, or at least I mean variations of one of our words. Yeah, and there's, I mean, and and on the flip side though, there's also some really beautiful words in different languages that English has no, you know, no, there's nothing at all. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then it's cultural too. Like there are languages, um. The native Inuit languages mm-hmm. have um, many more words for snow and ice than we do because mm-hmm. it was obviously, you know, more significant part of their lives than where English comes from. Right. Another, another thing I'd want to talk about is the fact that Shin calls out specifically that we are a gray, like we're able to manage the things. Like everybody he's hunted has been a shadow been has fallen too far the dark but he claims that we seem to be able to walk the line well, we have that a we're, we have a flicker of gray in us yes we're Which I, I view that more as mind. yeah i view that actually as more growth on shin's part than maybe a change in the prey because i i always kind of t- i i kind of see shin more and more as kind of the punisher figure in destiny's universe like okay he's definitely more of a vigilante which i i don't necessarily have a problem with but he views the world in black and white like and when you're when you're that and he calls that out oh no no he is self-aware like he is super self-aware of the fact that he sees things as a binary world like he he sees it either you're good or you're bad and if you're bad you deserve to be you know you deserve to be killed um and sorry, I'm going to freak out a little bit. I just got Sorrow's Road completed. Um, so, like, but nice. Yeah, I, sorry. This is this this particular piece has been a pain. Um, but like, I I which also probably explains my fascination with Shin because I really appreciate that type of like in fiction. I I appreciate that Gross. those characters. Or well, the black both, and white aspect. both, because the black and white aspect is a is a very um, it's a very basic template as far as a character goes, but it also has like immense immense capabilities and immense potential with regards to growth. 
Um, mm-hmm. You see that, like I was just kind of talking about it before this, before we started recording this, you know, you see this with uh, the Punisher in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that they have over on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Throughout throughout the two seasons that they have on Netflix with with Frank, you see, you actually see him grow, and he actually becomes more complex as as you get to know the subtleties and you know the the kind of the intricacies of his own personal madness. Uh, in season two, there's there's an actual character that gets introduced in season two of The Punisher that actually pushes him to do things that he wouldn't normally do, and even in that presentation he he recognizes that he's like he makes a comment about like he let people live that he would not have normally let live because of this other character because they've changed him and so in shin's in shin's way in shin's world you kind of see a similar shift and a similar uh growth if you will in the way that he calls out the fact that he normally would just have gunned down people as soon as they started down this path like he he's like that's just the way it is he, it's a very it's a very uh, spaghetti western type mentality but mm-hmm. then when he sees our character or for some reason something you know whether that's jaron ward's ghost pushing him to do one thing uh whether it was you know maybe an involvement of shacks maybe the involvement of seeing the drifter come back you know whatever whatever uh catalyst it was there was something that sparked a growth in him and that growth allowed him to be open suddenly to the possibility that things are not good or evil they can be a combination of the two there can be shadows if you will between the light and the dark and we just happen to occupy something that is in between them you know does that does that make sense that he can actually recognize that we that it, people aren't just black and white necessarily there's shades in between you mean yeah like that- i mean okay so like um I, I don't know like this is this is again kind of going back to philosophical basis here it's like the concept of uh a telos or uh, a free will right like you you have the ability to choose your path and there is no point and this kind of plays into the turn the concept of predestination uh and it's interesting to me because we actually see this quite a bit within destiny with the dreaming city curse. You see, Mm -hmm. you see in, in the curse of the dreaming city, you see them in a constant cyclical pattern. And even though they're aware of that pattern, they are stuck in that pattern. That is predetermination. You, you cannot escape the path for which you have been cast. However, our guardians, because of our paracausal nature are, are able to break that loop. We can do things differently each time, even though the loop is still there, it is still stuck in a track, you know, whatever it's stuck in a rut that it's not going to escape from, though, you know, given given this week's revelation, that might not be the case anymore. But, Mm. you know, given given our paracausal capabilities as guardians of the light, as risen light bearers, whatever you want to call us, because of that, we have the ability to sidestep causal effect. And we can, because we can sidestep that, we can, instead of being cast towards something, we can allow ourselves to be pulled towards something else. We can change our telos. We can change the the destination that we are headed towards. We have that capability to choose. Okay, Shin, but go for it. The, the thing within the Dreaming City, technically, they can the Corsairs could leave too. 
I thought that was still open for debate, though, because there was one that kept getting shot. And even though she well, knew that she was getting shot, she couldn't escape. Yeah. And Rita, right. They she can she ha- like they have to stay within that aspect, I, I guess, if they're critical to it. But they're allowed to leave because I believe there some I don't remember which week it was, but we basically asked, like, why? Why don't you leave? Why can't you leave? OK, so they did call that out. Yeah. OK. Because I know, I know that there was a, um, I know that there was a, a week that it was, it wasn't, it wasn't a, it wasn't a visit Mara week. It was either the, I think, is it the first week that Petra, is it Petra first and then Ghost or is it Ghost and then Petra? It depends. Okay. Last week we got Petra second week. So. Yeah. And so like they, um. It's uh sorry I'm reading chat. Um they okay. they mentioned sorry they they're talking they're actually talking about this as well. Uh there was a quote from Petra where I think Ghost challenges her about that and she mm-hmm. makes the she makes the comment about it being a test not because it's not being a punishment. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I don't know, I always got the feeling I just personally got the feeling that it was a matter of they were stuck in a causal loop that that was kind of the curse was that they were forced to repeat it until that curse was broken, which was the entire point of us trying to break the curse was that's where the frustration that ghost had. And then Mara reciprocated that frustration was boiling over because everyone is aware that they are stuck in this loop, but not everyone can get out of it. I had a a war mind. Yeah, I had a different. No, you're good. I had a different interpretation of it. But as far as like, can they leave? The corsairs are choosing to stay there because the queen wants them to stay there. They're they can physically leave. The guardian. So they're just they're just adhering to the queen's wishes, basically. Yes, which is why Ghost gets so mad, saying that you're holding them there, and why he calls her out. Okay. I never thought about it like that, but that's a fair point too, because they would be loyal to the queen in the same yes. way that older and even is, is to a degree. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, I can, I can totally see that. Um, but as far as, and I'm getting, that doesn't, from I mean, <laughs> you're getting, yeah, you're getting pink. Um, that being, that being the case though, I think it's still the, the concept of mm-hmm. the ability of a person to change their path, I right. think is something that Shin, for whatever reason, I think chat's chat's talking about this right now about because we get a mention of uh, Jaren's ghost like rejecting him and like not 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 acknowledging him and stuff. You know, chat's talking about you know maybe uh, Jaren's ghost in pushing Shin maybe to revenge against for Jaren. He might have started. He might have created his own personal form of monster. In the fe- in the form of Shin, who became this avenging like vigilante figure, who was taking justice in his own hands in a way, but Shin has grown and is now capable of actually seeing within, maybe not all guardians, but at least within our guardian, he is able to see, you know, maybe it's something familiar because of the way that the draw, you know, the end of the draw, how we kind of almost summon the last word. 
you know, maybe that maybe that is similar enough for Shin to kind of make him realize that not everything is black and white. And I think that's an awesome facet of his character that really until now we have we have not gotten to see. And so mm-hmm. now he's actually acknowledging the fact that, hey, maybe you are going to be the next generation you know, you have in Ulantan, you know, that's another big name that's dropping around right now. He's mentioned this too. The the idea that there might be a new guardian that we see, and that's one that is going to not be light or dark, but maybe something of both. Mm-hmm. I think in that's where um I know because that's uh uh I know Mylan did a video on it, and then I know we talked about it the last couple episodes at least. Uh, and then also a dark mirror, which is the grimoire anthology has a number of excerpts from both Callum and Ulantan that kind of touch on that concept as well. Interesting, interesting question questions going on from that for sure. I don't necessarily want to get dive into Mara too much. Right. right. Especially especially with what happened recently, but the perspective that, and we've talked a lot about letters of a renegade or letters from a renegade and Shin's perspective on everything and how we're developing there. But I thought it was almost more interesting to read the scribblings of Tevin Gray in the book of the unmaking and how they're really, especially at the end, viewing their, their, progress with these like decryptions essentially as not an evil thing per se like, they mm-hmm, don't view themselves mm-hmm. as evil they they view themselves as the heroes of their own story in some ways right and i yeah and it, i'm actually really sad that you you missed our, our chat this last weekend because we did kind of talk about that particular aspect in so far as what makes an interesting villain is that it's an individual who views themselves as not a villain. Like a true villain is not going to see themselves as a villain. They're going to see themselves Mm -hmm. as the hero and the hero is the villain Mm -hmm. to them. You know, like it's, it's the, our army is holier than thou's army situation. Right. And I also kind of see Tebin as a moderate, even in the shadows group, like Orsa, Mm -hmm. Orsa is definitely kind of getting to the darker aspects Callum's completely like Callum's completely lost, but uh, Gray Tebin has always been kind of just from the excerpts that we've seen. He definitely strikes me more as the warlock esque figure because he seems to be looking at it as a research opportunity. You know, like you there's... know who the echoes that a lot of this reminds me of. Tolan. Yes. Yes. A, um, a lot of this reminds me of Tolan, especially the the translations of the high tech specifically talking about unmaking. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It really, really makes me think Tolan, even though we don't have any connection between Tolan and Yor at this point. Well, but we also, I mean, the other thing that that is very interesting and a possible connection there too is that you know what were both of those? What were both of these? individuals fanatics about it's kind of hive technology 
you know, Tolan, Tolan was all about the death song and the arcane technology, arcane magics, if you will, of the hive. And so are the shadows. I mean, they're, they're obsessed with this concept of the, the unmaking that is required to create a weapon of sorrow to the degree that they even try to craft themselves into weapons of sorrows when, uh, with regards to like, uh, I think it was ghost fragment four and five, which we talked about, you know, a little bit, uh, with the legacy of your episode, you know, mm-hmm. Orsa or which to be clear, it's assumed it's Orsa. Uh, but the individual speaking in the ghost fragment thorn five calls out the shadows as being the new weapons of sorrow. Like they, they speak of unwilling sacrifice and how, because of the unwilling sacrifices that they have extracted, they are able to become weapons of sorrow themselves. Mm-hmm. So they're 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 obsessed to the degree that they are actually imbuing themselves with this corruption, um, similar to what Yor was doing. Albeit Yor, I almost argue was kind of unconsciously doing it to a degree. At least at first, it seems, you know, from what we've what we've seen at it, according to the the lore that we have on them. Right, right, no. and I mean, and you can argue too that Tol. I think. Uh, ninja in chat right now is making a comment too you know tolan to a degree also supposedly dabbled in making weapons of sorrow that's where we supposedly get bad juju from uh mm-hmm. which bad juju is not sure in destiny a... 2 right no it's not but i'm pretty okay. sure there's a direct quote from toland on bad juju in d1 yeah and then there's also the the theoretical connection between red death and uh uh is it red specter shadows no bad juju has the quote yep if you believe your weapon wants to murder all existence then so it will toll in the shattered yeah that is right off of d1 right and then red, red death was connected to shadow price which was Tolan's weapon of choice um and but, that's but I'm was gonna, not a weapon of sorrow. It, it, and uh, I'm gonna I'm going to defer anyone who's interested in the the theory about Red Death really should depend really should defer to Unisys on this one because mm. he has he has an amazing write up of this whole concept um, that I really actually I actually kind of buy into. But his argument is is that Red Death was actually an experiment to try to create a weapon of sorrow that wasn't corrupted to be a weapon of sorrow. Okay, it didn't actually sense. have the hive technology. Yeah, yeah. He he used Shadow Price as a frame. The same way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is where you get the the uh, the benefits that Red Death gave you in game, and also where you got the uh, the status of an abomination from the vanguard so i mean there's there's a number of possible connections between toland and the shadows even you know as far as like manipulation and usage of hive arcane knowledge um and yeah the book of unmaking is really interesting too it makes me also wonder timing wise where this was in relation to toland in a way, because I don't, I can't remember if Book of Unmaking actually specified when they found the the derelict ship. Um, I don't think so. It, as far as timeline, it doesn't. It doesn't. There, 
far as the hand scroll notes, they probably have access to it because they're translating from the derelict ship throughout the whole thing. So they are likely on the ship while they're translating, unless they have yeah. other scripts they translated. Because well, so there's there's part of it where they it seems like they're on the ship, mm-hmm. and then like later, it seems like they like went back to the tower because there was this whole negotiation with the cryptarchs, mm-hmm. um, and and trying. Oh yeah, because to... Orsa didn't Orsa convince a cryptarch to help him or something? Yeah, they they were like convincing the cryptarchs to give them stuff and so it, it seemed to me it was my like my my vision of it was that like went to the ship they did some work on the ship they while they were there the and then stuff they, down. they were like oh we need some extra stuff so they went uh-huh. back and and con- had to convince one of the i'm trying to find it um yeah it was sometime later it's um uh seven joining Okay. It was sometime later when Orsa came to me with writings from a Cryptarch's archives. We'd spent a long while attempting to translate the glyphs found on your ship to no avail, which to me is like, and they left the way that that sentence is written. But, um, and then you know, it says we weren't hiding, but we weren't advertising. Um, and it talks about Andal Brask and Cade. Um, and shacks and stuff. Okay, so maybe they copied all the hive script off of the ship early on, and continued to translate it later. Or maybe weren't even necessarily on the ship very long during the book, because every single card has a translation as a part of it. Yeah, and because I know with, uh, sorry, I'm flipping through, uh, four whispers, it says Mm -hmm. uh, they found the craft undisturbed in low orbit. It was synchronized to the exact coordinates of its master's final resting place, which is the, so it's Dredgenor. Which I want to know where that's at. Uh is it just over Dwindler's Ridge? Yes, mm-hmm. it, it was. It was chained to the specific coordinates of the ridge. It was not directly linked to the craft's onboard systems, but instead to Desire. The ship was waiting in pained anguish for his return. Oh, jeez! I want and to I, go to there. No, <laughs> no, no, no! You don't because <laughs> because it says the hull was more of a more of husk, harsh and jagged from the growth. We'd never seen a ship crusted in the bone of unknown death, but were more intrigued than concerned. The whispers started on approach, faint, hushed. Moments later, our ears began to bleed. Sounds like Eris all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so they must have copied it because he said uh, when you go to purpose. Actually, you know what. For those who are in stream, I will just pull it up because I should have, I believe, this one. Um, purpose is uh, where he kind of talks about. Before you like read through that one a little bit, it's in Whispers 4 that you were just looking at. Mm-hmm. That it talks about how they viewed themselves. 
and how others tend to view them. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting. Despite all this, we were not deterred. If anything, Orson and I and the others who followed were driven by the difficulty of our chosen task. That a guardian should be could be corrupted, our gifts twisted, not by greed or lust or power, by influences beyond petty human desires, was a concern greater maybe than any other. So that oh, that's in middle self. paragraph. Sorry, that's in self. Yeah. Oh, okay, that's in self. So that's in three. So in that specifically makes me like they don't view themselves as utterly corrupted at this point that the influences are beyond their control, that it's not greed or lust or power that they're viewing themselves as on the path for this, but not necessarily trying to follow the path. There's a lot of interpretation to some of this. Yeah, and and he kind of starts lamenting the fact, too, that were we not honored with our return because of some inherent nobility, you know, Mm-hmm. And it, well, that's it, just I, like, the whole, I like why were I, we risen? Yeah, and it's like I, after all, it feels good to imagine oneself a hero, morally superior, and standing tall on the side of righteous hope. And then he kind of pokes at that. He says, "The question I we should would ask then is simple: How well do we, any of us, truly know ourselves?" Mm-hmm. Which is very, very similar to that of the um, question text? of Osiris. Oh, see, there's a renegade quote, too, talking about knowing yourself and being reflective. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but in purpose, it kind of makes me think that um, they copied it because they found a book, which was the Book of Unmaking. <clears throat> Orsa found the scribbled glyphs on thick leather inside the craft that once long ago belonged to Yor. We couldn't identify the origin of the writing at the time, much less translate. Though we'd all heard the stories of the hive, an ancient evil and ancient battle that turned Luna into a forbidden zone, most of them held most held them as folklore, scary stories to counteract our natural curiosity and keep brave guardians from venturing beyond their means. And while we had our theories about Dredge and Yor and how his fall was linked to the nightmare tales of wicked creatures born of bone and shadow, we were cautious not to let assumption guide our inquisition. Purple... yes Uh, so this this actually does give us a bit of a time too because this seems like it would be after the great disaster right but then you know what i thought i read this paragraph like three times because i was like if he thinks that it's a legend that 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 that's that folklore. The, battle, the ancient battle on Luna is a legend. It's a folklore. Then it happened so long ago that guardians think it's a legend. Do you understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, no. Like how long does how long <laughs> is long enough for an immortal being to think a legend is? Yeah. It puts it in perspective and too, the with general something... timeline of what we're talking about here. Right, because we're like, <laughs> like people. And this is why I hate the timeline. But also, like, <laughs> no, I'm not gonna battle you. Um, <laughs> someone's asking to battle me. Um, oh, no. 
<laughs> the well, okay, so perspective <laughs> of guardians. Right. Well, okay, but so like it's one thing for it to be like what say, for example, what happened to Saint Fourteen, right? Mm-hmm. Like he just Saint Fourteen just disappeared. We don't know like what happened right. to him. We, there could be and then there's lots of like mysteries and people have have guesses and like whatever. But this was like this is a battle where thousands of guardians died. Right. Right. So like think about huge battles that we've had in real life in the past and like how significant they are still hundreds of years later. You know what I'm saying? Like it just I don't know. It just makes the whole thing seem and then like you have to I don't know, at least for me, I have to keep reminding myself that like we are like obviously guardians can die, but like we are effectively immortal. So it doesn't really matter, but it still kind of does because you can still forget things. Mm-hmm. Like, well, it's just a weird can you? thing. Mm, well, apparently, if they thought that the well, bat- no, no, no. <laughs> well, but what I'm saying is, is like either that or the battle took place before any of the guardians currently in existence were around. But Petra was there. I'm not commenting on that one. Um, I don't know. Anyway, this is not what we're talking about. Mm. Um, so <laughs> many dark theories on that one. Um, so, okay, we've got the anyway, guys so, researching. So walking, right, so he's researching. <laughs> and... <laughs> this is why this is a let chat. Go to my happy place. Research. Go to my happy place. <laughs> Purple, I love you. <laughs> this is awesome. Oh, uh, man. Okay, so the re- they're researching, they're doing their thing. Right. Well, so it really seems, at least from Tebin's perspective, in the notes that he's making, that they're trying to figure out, like, that they recognize that somewhere along the way, Dredge and Yor went wrong. Right. right. And they're like, maybe we can find a way to do it without going wrong. They're also trying and, to figure out what the real story is, too. What's not just the right. folklore, the legends built up to scare children. Right. And after I read the book of Unmaking, I actually went back and read The Shadows of Your Card mm-hmm. um, from Age of Triumph. And it, like, it just, it, it fits together so nicely. Um, the, the Shadows of Your Card is just like a bunch of, of individual sentences and they fit really nicely with the story that that is told in the book of the unmaking. So if you haven't done that, I really, I really suggest it because it's great. Um, but, you know, at the end, it's again, like talking about um, they hide this truth because they fear the consequences of those who would dare follow his footsteps to tempt the darkness, to allow one's light to be tainted. Few could walk that ledge and not fall completely into despair. So that's on the shadows of your card. And then in, uh, I can't find it now in the book of the unmaking, they talk about 
walking the edge of the ridge and not falling in. Mm-hmm. Which card is that? It's one of the end ones. Uh, going back to that book. <laughs> I was looking at Renegade for a second. Unmaking. Uh, not unmasking. That is not the word I want. So it's on it's uh card six focus. Standing on the ridge as the sun fell, Orsa and I held a silent communion. I want to say that. Anyway, my point is that it's the same. No. Well, because they, they the shadow card says few could walk that ledge and not fall completely into despair. Yeah, that's what but I this was, was a line. Okay, there's another one. Yeah, no, there there was a line. God, I should have written it down, but I didn't. See, write it down. Okay, important. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, my point is that it fits really nicely together with the shadows of your card, and that they're trying to figure out how to accomplish what they think Yor was trying to accomplish without completely abandoning the light. Because it seems like Tebin, like regardless of the rest of them, from Tebin's notes, he doesn't really want, like he's flirting with the darkness, right? But he doesn't want to really go there. He's like, can we figure out a way to make it okay? Mm-hmm. Can we stay on this side? You know, can we use a little bit of darkness to um, to defeat the greater darkness kind of thing? Can we utilize it but not get trapped by it? Right. I mean, they're kind of talking about that all the way through here, too, in the new stuff. Yeah, um, I I don't, obviously we, we don't have tons of information from the rest of the shadows, like Orsa and all the rest of them, um, but it seems like they're m- more embracing of it than, than Tebin is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially Orsa, Orsa, and obviously Callum. Callum. There's a couple of others that are apparently with them, but they're never named. One female, because it's brother's sister. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just, just I, wasn't like, Orsa female, though? No, Orsa is male. Mm, okay. No. But yeah, like, <laughs> that just, that still sticks out to me, is, and that's from uh, Ghost Fragment Thorn 5. He's like, do you hear it, brother's sister? I was like, why? Why a singular? Why are we switching from plural to singular there? Right. It's just one. Just just one. one. Just you. It's just... the token chick. Yeah. Green. Uh, <laughs> why, am I, wait, why am I the token chick? Because you're the only one that has the dredgen title. Really? Really? We're calling that out now? We already Part called it. We already, we already called it out when you weren't at our episode last weekend. <laughs> we oh, were like, Lord. we were like, that's why she's not here. She doesn't want to. That is not you. Stink. This I knew being gone, I was gonna have something like said. I'm gonna either have to like do or fulfill or like defend the next time I saw you two. Lord, 
gosh. All right. <laughs> hmm. Um, okay, so what else did you guys notice about the last word stuff or the unmaking books or book? Anything stand out like major to you? Not all at uh, once. I mean, <laughs> so I think it is worth calling out in secrets. Um, we see a bit of, of uh, where did it go? Uh, he says, <clears throat> yours etchings were a roadmap, arcane and cryptic, but with specific intent. Old research mm-hmm. hinted at mysterious tomes labeled as books of sorrow. It was theorized by researchers long before our time that the hive had their own set of holy texts, evidence of which had been gathered before the great disaster, which right. I'm still trying to fi- fix my temporal understanding of that piece. These books were believed to be archives of hive ritual and history, chronicling royal bloodlines and varied ceremonies and rites of passage. Uh, we were uncertain of the place yours etchings held in the overall picture of hive legend, but they fit our understanding of these fabled books as such through hubris or educated conclusion is a distinction I'll leave to others to decide. We chose to collect our translation in accordance as a new entry to the supposed library of sorrow, a seventh book we called it. And writing this right. now upon reflection in the last days before the la- the next stage in our journey, I believe I know we were right to do so. So this is uh, the reason actually was like I had mentioned first, this kind of explains where the seventh book, the 13th understanding of the seventh book of sorrow. Right. But it still doesn't because we don't get the 13th understanding. It only goes to nine. <laughs> yeah. No, right. I, I'm very, but, there's yes. the... but I also, yeah, yeah. I also do like how I'm um, sorry to flip through here. Uh, I do like how it gives a nod to we're so, so to go back to our conversation about translations, we are getting a translation of a translation of a translation of the text. Like right. there, right. we are, we are getting translations like twice or third, three times removed of the actual text. So we and don't, and we got to be careful there. Never called it a book of sorrow. That's something that the no, shadows later no. called it. Yes, your refers to the books of sorrow, but he never. But he doesn't call his translations no. the book of sorrow. And actually, uh, yours etchings were a roadmap to find out about the books of sorrow. So these were like the scribbling notes of of his research. I mean, and the three of us, I mean, we've all done this. The notes of our research are not anywhere close to what's actually going on in the brain when you're doing the research. Like it's the bare, mm-hmm. it's the, it's the tip of the iceberg. Like if you looked at notes from any particular person while they're researching stuff, it'd be, it could, it can be anywhere from a really well-connected thing to the most disjointed and disconnected, you know, etchings if you will the word etchings kind of makes me think of like scribbles you know it's like it's, post-it notes yeah <laughs> like yeah i mean yeah it's it's the it's the one that we always make fun of bife with the the lore the warlock on the, mm-hmm. the wall you mean the bife on the wall the bife on the wall um but yeah in in 
this goes back to where in the timeline, if you will, this whole thing is taking place. Like, you know, <laughs> theorized by researchers long before our time, evidence of which had been gathered before the great disaster. Mm-hmm. So we know first off that they have not obviously seen the calcified fragments that we get because we get those directly from the dreadnought, right? So we don't, we, they, they do not have the books of sorrow, obviously. But this is this is talking about notes that were taking place before the great disaster, but when we knew about the hive. So that, you know, it starts to narrow down a little bit as far as you can narrow down the ambiguous timeline that is there. But it also then points out that it's researchers long, long before our time. Mm-hmm. And that kind of goes back to my question, my my problem there. It's like what is a long time to someone who doesn't even care about the passage of time? Well, I mean, we don't know. We just, it could be a long, long time. It could be a very short period of time. We don't, there's no way to be able to gauge that. Well, and then, yeah. And I mean, pins, pins and chats making the point burning Lake. We know about mm-hmm. burning Lake, you know, and Burning Lake did take place before the Great Disaster. That was when Shax was clued in to the magic of the swords, or the the mysteriousness of the swords, because that was the whole um, kicking the door in on the consensus situation. Mm-hmm. Um, timelines are so thinking wonky in this game, because well, just... and the addition of the Dreaming City. <laughs> The addition of the Dreaming City and the presence of skipping, like, with the Stranger and the Vex, possibly, don't really help that. Bank 14 and... Well, yeah, Marty McFly over there. (laughs) Pretty much. Um, Okay, so... But no, I was just going to say, this this particular book, uh, which is, again, 8, which is Secrets from the Book of Unmaking... uh, I really think kind of helps kind of give a a sense of where, you know, where this thing kind of lies. Um, The the deciphering aspect. Yeah, as much as you can when everything else is ambiguous, you know, like I'm not saying that we have like certain answer here, but it definitely helps kind of start narrowing down stuff. It does. It does. It does. So they got the etchings. What do you think of the actual translations themselves? Um, the because like my first impression of them, just reading them. Granted, I know that this is written by a group that is not that is following the hive, and it's not necessarily a a good thing. But the whole idea of the basic premises of what they're presenting it's it reads very much so as a self-reflection um it's somewhat buddhist in my opinion i was about to say yeah it's very it's very um enlightened it's very Mm -hmm. enlightenment aspect uh the very like the very first thing or the very first one cages is talking about how flesh and mind are cages and how um Mm -hmm you need to become free. Like 
taken out of context, most of these most of these uh, understandings are they're they're not they're not necessarily bad. Um, like the first understanding, evolution is claimed only through our unmaking. I mean, that's it's not necessarily great, but it's not necessarily evil. It depends uh, more, on what your definition of unmaking is. Well, but also, but do, I mean, it doesn't as well because, you know, the way you get stronger is by destroying your muscles. Like, you know, well, your yeah. physical, physical, physical strength is done through tearing of your own body. Like, you know, and, and the growth, rebuilding of it afterwards. Mm, right, right. But, but I mean, but it never, like, that's what I mean is like evolution requires sacrifice and that doesn't mean necessarily again you know given there's no context in that statement you could either be really okay with that statement or it could be really bad um you know it's it's you know and the second understanding is mortal flesh is a prison that makes liars of our beautiful caged minds i mean yeah i that's that's like intellectualism at its core it's not anything mm-hmm. necessarily wrong with that. Um, the third understanding is know thyself at the, in honest ways or falter in light of your truest self. Again, without context, that's not necessarily dark. That's just, I mean, that's that's like one of the basic tenets of philosophy. It's know yourself. Um, now, the fourth is where it kind of starts going down. Uh, fourth is on the path of the hushed tones, <laughs> the cutting word will guide your unmaking. Okay. So now we're, now we're starting to get a little bit into the dark here. Um, because you know, that's, that's, I don't have a lot of defense on that one. Um, fifth is lose yourself, not in the whispers words, but in their purpose. I, again, I, I mean, I don't, I don't have a, I mean, like, I don't really, that's again, that's kind of out of context. It's not necessarily dark. Uh, sixth is let go, let go of all that is to come to linger here on the promise of rewards yet earned. We'll see you lost never to return. That's, that's also, I mean, that's not a bad thing. Like that's let go of material, uh, let go of material greed. You know, that's, that's not again. Okay. So, so far we're on, we're on six. And we've only had one that's actually kind of uncomfortable. Point dark. Mm-hmm. Uh, seventh is only through a joining of the known and unknown can your path be made new. Okay. I mean, this is starting to feel like fortune cookies because this is like, uh-huh. I mean, and it, I don't, I don't mean that facetiously. I just, but I mean, like you can, it's just no, like, this is like, this is like, this is like, uh, this is like reading, uh, freaking, uh, Oh, what are they? The the horoscopes, right? You know, it's like. Oh yeah. I mean, depending on depending on who's reading these, the the interpretation can be completely completely whatever. Now the now eight, I can see this one being a little bit questionable. Uh, no pain that it may teach you all you never imagined possible. Okay. So even with that, where the knowing pain, some aspects of not necessarily Buddhism like what most people think in the West of Buddhism, but there are sects of it where understanding pain and the letting go of pain is part of it. Mm. You 
Enos, the you're grasping onto an aspect of it. You're grasping onto either your own, um, your own self or the desire for something, the desire not to feel it. So it's like you, they, a lot of them will do the extreme mm-hmm. and try to get out of it. So it's still, it's, it still it's the, very... it's the argument for hedonism. Yeah. Oh, uh, sorry. Uh, hedonism is the love of pleasure. Basically it's the seeking of pleasure, uh, the avoidance of pain basically. And so, You'll find that and green, you kind of you, you broke up a little bit there at the beginning. But I think what you're trying to say is like you kind of find that in a lot of teachings is that you need to acknowledge your pain. Mm-hmm. You need to come to terms with it. You can't avoid pain because pain is useful. There are there is, you know, we were talking about this with you, the evolution piece. There is a point to know, pain. You can't know pleasure without pain. They well, but you also, there's pain, I mean, there's that, but there's also like the argument for like, uh, survival. Mm-hmm. Uh, the classic, classic example is a kid who puts his hand on the stove. Mm-hmm. It burns, it hurts, but you know what? The kid probably won't do it again because that's how, that's, that's kind of how as humans we learn is that hurt. Let's not do that. That's how, you know, uh, physical creatures that's that's where it is which i have a philosophical conundrum with that but whatever anyways right well because my my problem with that is like book one is all about escaping escaping the body but then book or eight is like no you need to you need to accept the pain that your body gives you it's like Okay, so Which do you want one? do you want us to go or do you want us to stay? This is like the what is what's the the notebook? Well, what do the, you want? Want yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. It wants you to get out of your head, but it also wants you to understand. I mean, it's a lot of reflection, right? Yeah. Now I have this. Now I have the shadows of your being. What's his face stuck in my head? Um. The ninth understanding is do not linger on the coming embrace. Your unmaking is yours alone. A solitary journey devoid of peace. So, yeah, I don't have a defense on that one. Yeah, that one's pretty dark. Like, I mean, like, I can, I could, uh, I can make, let's see, hang on. I mean, like, okay, so to be clear also, these are the understandings. So this is kind of like the summary of each of the uh, entries, I guess, in the books. Uh, it's like so, verses? Yeah, the verses themselves, they, they, the verses are not as easy to defend as some of the summary statements are. Uh, <laughs> like, Embrace has, oh, yeah, no, there, there's some fun As ones. As the light in the ways of your screen yeah. <laughs> drowns the whispers, you will feel alone. That my, that's my the one that my eyes keep going back to. It's like, <laughs> I yeah, I don't, I don't got any defense on that one for you. Um, no, I was gonna say though, like you know, this is this is kind of the concept of everyone dies alone too. Is in the way. T- in a way it's passing the responsibility on like you, you are responsible for yourself, right? Only you can actually complete this, you know, quote air quotes here unmaking, which is what they've, what they've obviously become obsessed with. Um, now 
I don't know. Like it, it just like again, out of context, I can see maybe an argument for this not being as super dark as it is. But it, yeah. I mean it it can be. I don't know. That one's probably the hardest to reconcile. Yeah, but that, the fourth in this one is yeah, because the other one that keeps coming up is yet you will know through the pain and through the fear. There is no longer a you that was only what comes next and all the pain to follow. Well, OK, so. OK, that's fine. Ex- here's an, OK, here's an example of that. And I can actually speak to this because I have a friend who does that ultra marathoning. Oh, yeah. She ran, OK. She ran 61 miles. And past a certain point, you just kind of. There's pain, but you kind of go numb to it, not necessarily numb to the pain itself, but numb to the agony of it, so to speak. And you just keep going. Yeah, there's there's a point at which numbness is just there. Well, like your nerve endings can only fire so fast and they get tired. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's a reason when we're torturing people, we have to give them breaks. Keep that in mind, kids. Oh, gosh. Dark. Talk about dark. Let's see here. All right. So is there anything that you noticed with, well, you're not all the way through the the quest yet. Purple, have you seen all the way through the quest or have you played all the way through the quest yet? Um, I have not played through it. I did um, watch a little bit of it on YouTube. <laughs> Okay. This afternoon, but Blue, have you seen the last little bit with Drifter? Uh, which which part? The one before after. the conversation or the one after the conversation? After the conversation. I have not. I mean, I there's... just got I just got to the conversation. So I haven't gotten okay. I haven't gotten past it yet. So Drifter's not expecting you to bring back last word. Oh yeah, I heard about this. I did. I did read this. Like he's, I read that he's surprised. He's surprised and a little furious, and a, gets like a <laughs> little angry and a little dark. But then he starts cracking up and making jokes at the end of it. Like, hey, we're still buddies, right? Kind of thing. But he doesn't trust us, or at least he doesn't trust that gun for sure. Well, you know, given given the uh, the statement that you get from uh, I always mispronounce it, Malfiance, Malf Malfiance, Malfi- what, whatever the Malfi- hell the, Malfi- the, the the M one, Malfiance, <laughs> that one. Uh, given his call to arms, that's in that particular gun. It's not a surprise that he doesn't trust it. I mean, he's he knows full well what that gun is. Hmm. Dino's helping me out in chat. So, gosh, good Malfeasance. That just sounds. Yeah, let's just call it the bad hand cannon. (laughs) Thank you, Ninja. (laughs) Maltzers. The Maltzers. Yes. So, yes, Drifter's response. (laughs) Green, sorry. Yeah, you're good. I'm I'm just waiting for my my audio to go back to green cuz I'm I don't know why it's being weird today. So Drifter gives us a piece. Where does Drifter get the piece? The what? The piece the... that he gives us to start this whole quest. 
Uh, he got. I don't remember where he got the individual, like the the. Uh, ah, the it's the like shard a shroud, thing. like the shroud wrapped thing that we're supposed to translate or whatever. Because like the thorn piece he gets from the helmet that we bring back. Mm-hmm. Uh, which it's like, oh, this is going to be like, that's where a lot of people were, I think were connecting, obviously connecting this with Thorn, And then, um, which was also, that's a, that's a Titan helmet that we bring back. Yes, it is. Do we have any idea which Titan helmet it is? Cause I tried to do a comparison and all those Titan helmets look exactly the same to me. Cause yeah. I don't play Titan. It's, uh, so. it's obviously, uh, I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that. I, don't I was know. gonna. I was trying to remember who the uh, the. Uh, oh gosh, it's is it Sagoth? No, who is the who is the freaking Titan with the Iron Lords? Sagoth, one of them that had helmet that was a, an artifact back in V one. Yeah, the one that was like. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the yeah, one yeah. that he was like, he's the one that gave them the nickname Wolves, and Saladin got all uppity with him. Mm-hmm. And uh, who was it? Uh, Payrun was like, I like it. I think it was Payrun. Yeah, so Segoth to... was the warlord that um, fell winter smashed. No, that, that was that was Ky- uh, Payrun, Saladin, and Radagast protect, mm-hmm. protected a town from yeah war. Lord Sagoth and then Sagoth. Because Sagoth's right. hand was the uh, the the talisman the, or whatever. Dino says it's the parade helmet, which would be the initial helmet you get in D two. Ah. So the very very first thing when you when you lose your light. Well, that would make sense then. A thorn a thorn shot to the face when you don't have light is going to be kind of unfortunate for you. Oh, sadness. Especially if it's one of those freaking proto thorns, dear lord, that kind of stupid. I'm sorry. Because I know that trans that transitions into, oh hey, your friend died. We should go look at this, and that was all about from. Um, uh, that was from the one before the etched crystal nonsense. <laughs> I don't know what's happening on the other side of the room, but I just looked up and Ninja's just giving the finger to the screen. <laughs> he's on the last part. I bet he's on the last part, isn't he? Is he in the same room? He said he's. He said to tell you that he's uploading something. Oh, he's uploading a video clip. He didn't do it on the first try. One, he said he upload. He's uploading it right now. Surely he didn't do it on the first try. Yeah, first try. He said first try done. He's uploading it right now. Uh-huh, but he wouldn't have been giving the screen a finger if unless I mean, that's impressive. If he actually did it, that's impressive. Okay. He says he got trapped outside the middle room and he had to kill him with the one with the crystal and he had to kill himself to get into the room and that's why it starts with the guardian down screen. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds awfully convenient to me. <laughs> Where do you upload it to? Twitter? Uh, I don't. Hold on. He's doing. I don't know. 
she's up it's uploading now so okay. i will let you know when it's when it's there <laughs>